Thank you very much for the opportunity to come and uh, fellowship with you. If you want to find out how much I love young people, talk to Tanya about going to Bulgaria with us last year. I understand that I know a couple of students that are here today. I believe that Ken Wheeler said his son goes to school here. Is he in the audience? Uh, fine, there's Ken Wheeler. I also understand there's a young man here. It's a friend of my grandson, Brian Abel. Is he here? I understand he's a very good. Uh, somebody held up a hand there. Anyway, uh, if, we, if we can have the uh, opportunity to meet them afterward, I would like very much to do so. I thought someone of uh, inviting you to lunch because uh, I've heard a lot of jokes about campus food, and uh, I know it's very good, but uh, it's like the missionary said, uh, the money's good, there's not much of it, but it's good. And uh, I, I, I can remember a dignitary that was invited to speak at a uh, great university one time, and they said... Uh, you're in a hurry, we'll just go through the line and, uh, and we'll eat some campus food today. And as he went down the line, he uh, kept hearing a little murmuring and he kept listening a little closer and a little closer until finally the, uh, he uh, could hear that they were saying SOS, SOS. And uh, said, what in the world does that mean? He said, oh, that means same old stuff. Uh, but uh, I had a friend one time. And uh, he loved Jesus very much. He served the Lord. He lived for Jesus all of his life. And uh, when John Stuckey became quite old, he was up in his 90s, and one day he became very ill. And uh, uh, the uh, children said, well, Dad, we better call the doctor. And he said, well, maybe you better. So they called the doctor, and the doctor listened to the symptoms and said, you better take him to the hospital, and I'll meet you at the hospital. When they got to the hospital, the doctor said, John, sorry to tell you this, but... But, you know, uh, I've got to tell you the bad news. You're going to die. And John uh, took it very well. And then the doctor said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, uh, come to think of it, there is, Doc. He said, uh, would you go call my attorney and ask him to come? So he did. He called the attorney, and the attorney came to the hospital, and they stood there by the bed. And, and John said uh, to the attorney, would you mind moving over to the other side of the bed? And he did. And he uh, did. Then he laid back in the pillow, and he was just enjoying it so much, and, and the doctor was uh, a little bit curious. He thought that he was calling the attorney in so he could rechange his will or tell him something, and uh, he said, John, is there anything else I can do for you? And he said, not really, doc. He says, I've lived for Jesus all my life, and I want to die like Jesus with a thief on each side. <laughs> I really hope that you, none of you guys are doctors or attorneys today, but uh, my dad always said, my dad always said that doctors are only bloodsuckers. I said they are, Dad, but you still got to call them. And uh, it is uh, wonderful that we have doctors. God has furnished us with good things. These nurses, I would love to talk to these nurses about my opportunities on the mission field and what a great job they're doing. We helped, uh, this year, Betty and I helped two nurses to go on the mission field, one in Venezuela and another one in Tanzania. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, after just taking these two, two verses in the Bible, if we only concentrated on these after the wonderful singing we had and found out what God wanted for each one of us today, we would have had a wonderful chapel service. What God is needing today is totally dedicated Christian men and women willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus. The first time that Betty and I went into the Republic of China, we were being entertained there, and I can remember that even though when we get our invitation, we say there's two things that we want to remind you of. First of all, on Sunday comes, don't plan anything for us. That's the day we serve the Lord. Secondly, we do not drink alcoholic beverages, so please uh, have orange juice for us. And uh, the big round table with the uh, wonderful Chinese girls going around to serve you and the lazy Susan in the middle that probably was 10 or 15 feet across it and... Uh, uh, as we sat down, we noticed that they had the wine glasses sitting there, so we turned our glasses over, and in a few moments, one of those lovely ladies came and turned them back up the right way, said, surely there's got to be a mistake. And uh, then we turned them back over again, and the president looked over and said, Mr. Maloon, you would rather not have any wine? We said, if you don't mind, we'd like to have orange juice. And we noticed within five minutes, all the glasses were taken up, and everybody drank orange juice. Now, we can tell you of many, many occasions like this, but to stand up and be counted for Jesus is not always the easiest way. Now, you sit there and look at me today and you say, Oh, I'd just like to have the job that Mr. Maloon has now. But I want you to know you don't start here. You start right where you are. You start living for Jesus right where you are now. The stand that you take now is going to determine whether you are a Paul or a Judas. It is going to determine what you do, whether you count for Jesus or whether you do not. My testimony is that I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ when I was 12 years of age. Tomorrow I'll be 72, so you can see I've been saved now 60 years. Praise God that he saved me. If you had seen the miserable young man that I was, I had gone to many, many operations. The doctors never thought that I would ever make my teens. But I thank God that at the time that I put my trust in Jesus, he took nothing and made something out of it. He took my life and did something with it. And you look at me and you say he couldn't possibly be a championship basketball player, but I was. I want you to know that I made the team. I want you to know that in those days nobody was over six feet tall. I want you to know we never heard of anybody that dunked the ball that no one was tall enough to do it. I want you to know there's no three-second rules. There was no ten-second rules. It was a different game at that time. But God turned my life around. He made something out of nothing. God is the only one that can do this. And the day that you are willing to admit that you are nothing is when God can begin to make something out of you. Yes, they tell me about your soccer team. They tell me that they're doing well. All I can say is give God the glory. Give God the glory. 
everything that you and I own today. We are just stewards over it for a little while. Wait and see when you die. You won't take anything with you. Three of us brothers in this business, and uh, we all got saved the same night. That was a great preacher, wasn't it? Praise God for a man who can preach the gospel like that. I can remember the young man that I played basketball with. And as soon as I got saved, I went back to the back and I began telling him to come up. I didn't understand what I was doing. All I knew was something happened to me. And when you become saved, that's what should happen to you. You should immediately begin to think about somebody else that you want to share that wonderful, wonderful gospel with. Yes, we have traveled all over the world. As Bob has said, we've been in 73 different nations. Last year we were in Bulgaria. We just came out in August out of East Germany. It looked like everyone wanted to come with us. And uh, we have found that it doesn't make any difference. You can know John MacArthur, but he can't take you to heaven. It is not what, where you've been in your life. It is where you are going to go that counts. This is what God is raising up young people for today, is to make differences in people's lives. I have noticed in all the socialist nations that I go into, they are very vocal about wanting to get out, get out. But once they have learned about Jesus, they're willing to stay and serve Jesus. They lose their selfishness immediately. But as long as you're unsaved, you're only thinking about self. Self. Selfishness, greed, and pride is what's ruining our nation and our world today. Yes, we've had the privilege of knowing a lot of people in our life. We've worked with the Billy Graham team. We have uh, had the privilege of uh, uh, selling boats to many people throughout the world. The Shah of Iran learned to ski behind our boat 40 years ago. The uh, King Hussein has used our boat for many years, more than 40 years. We always sold President Marcos all of his boats until he lost his position as president in the Philippines. Now we find that we've made more money if we've been selling his white shoes. But anyway, God has given us a privilege of knowing a lot of people. I even know Todd over here, but hey, that doesn't count. What counts is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. You must know the right one that can take you to heaven. Yes? Being a Christian is a very important decision for everyone to uh, make, to say yes to Jesus and no to Satan. I can remember walking to a little northern Indiana town one time to visit. It was on a Sunday night, and I went in a little bit early, and as I did, why, some people gathered around me and began saying, Where you been? Where you been? Tell us about it, and all so on. And, and uh, after these people drifted away, a stranger came up to me and said, uh, Sir, are you a missionary? I turned and said, why, of course I'm a missionary. Everybody's a missionary or a mission field. Which one do you want to be? God is calling you. If you have said yes to Jesus, you want to be a missionary for him. One that is sharing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Uh, I think all of you remember Art Linkletter. Uh, I was speaking to a younger group earlier this week, and uh, uh, they did not, any of them, know Art Linkletter, but he was good at talking to children. And I can remember one day he was talking to a little boy, and he said, Son, who is the boss in your house? Your father or your mother? And the little guy spoke up and said, Both of them. And Art says, You are a diplomat. He says, No, sir. No, sir. I'm a Baptist. 
You know, I just wish, I just wish that every one of you would speak up and let people know what you are. Let them know that you are a Christian, that you're standing for Jesus, that you, what is a Christian? A Christian is one who shares Christ. If you look over in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter and the 26th verse, it says that they were first known as Christians where? In Antioch. Why? Because Paul had been telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ that died on the cross, shed his blood that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So they were going around and sharing what had happened in their life. They were telling about Jesus. That's why we are called Christians, because we believe in Christ, because we've had something happen in our life by Christ dying on the cross for us. So it is very important that we know who we are, know what we are, and that we do something about it. Yes, I had a pastor one time. I got saved in an evangelistic meeting, but soon after this, a few years afterward, we had a new pastor came to our town, and uh, when he did, he really taught me a lot of things. He taught me that God had saved me not to just go to heaven when I died. He taught me to serve. He said, you have been saved to serve. You've been saved to tell people about what's happened to you. And that man meant so much to me in my life that I separated my life from the world so that the world could see a difference between me and what the world was doing. I can remember my brother telling a story about the time that he was working over in Hong Kong. You heard my brother here earlier this year, I believe. And uh, my brother was telling the story about he was working in Hong Kong, and Saturday afternoon he finished up and he went back to the Great Sheraton Hotel, that beautiful hotel there on the waterfront across from uh, Hong Kong in Kowloon. And as he was walking across that big lobby and headed for the elevator, he said a gentleman came up and tapped him on the shoulder and said, uh, Sir, would you like to have a woman for the weekend? And my brother turned around and he says, uh, no, he says, I'm a Christian. And he says, I'll get you a Christian. I'm sorry to say that the world cannot tell the difference between those whom call themselves Christians and go to church and wear crosses around their neck and tell people that they're Christians and the ones that have really been born again, saved to serve. You and I need to be showing the world all of these kind of things that we need to be able to share with them. Now, if you're going to live like the world, they're not going to believe you. They're not going to understand you. But it's your business to not live like the world. Now, how do you do that? You do it by reading the Word. That is God talking to you. You do it by praying. And that is you talking to God. I don't know how many of you are married, but soon after you get married, you'll find out with good communication you'll have a very good marriage. If you're a Christian, you do not have a very good marriage with the bride groom, with the bride and groom together. We find that our close communication is by reading the Word and praying. The third very important thing is that you will be willing to obey when God speaks to you and tells you what to do. As I said, it's not easy sometimes. If you've read our first book that's put out by Moody Press, Saved from Bankruptcy, it was a long, hard ordeal. I want you to know that it come from the second 
uh, in, a, in the uh, boat building world down to the very bottom of the ladder and take 25 years to finally get out from underneath chapter 11 and be able to pay off all the creditors. We couldn't even go into a hotel or, or any place to stay. We took a tent along and camped beside the road. I'll tell you, well, if you're willing to come down from here to there to be able to be God's servant, then God can use you. Yes, he said, in order to do that, you must be servant to all. So it is very important that we know what we are. When I was in Beirut working with our importer there, uh, uh, they were called phalangers. Phalangers, people, they are Christians, according to them. But if you listen to them, they are not Christians. They've just been born into the phalangers, and therefore they are Christians. And I said, why is it that you hate the Jews? And he said, because the Jews crucified Jesus. And I said, they did, they did not crucify Jesus. You and I crucified Jesus. We, because of our sin, caused him to hang on the cross. The Jews did not do it at all. I want you to know the truth, but they do not understand the truth. But they call themselves Christians, no, uh, nevertheless. So it is very important that we are distinguished as someone that is truly a Christian because we have been born again, set aside by God to serve Him. I was riding along the road the other day listening to some beautiful tapes by Betty Elliott. And I tell you, if you want to get some good tapes, get those tapes on uh, suffering is not for nothing. And I want you to know that is a real blessing to listen to her. And I couldn't help but think, that this wonderful lady sat there in Quito, Ecuador, while her husband, along with four other young men, fresh out of college, gave their hearts to Jesus, went out of college, decided they wanted to go to a very difficult place to be able to give out the gospel. So they chose uh, a man-eating tribe down in, in the jungles of Ecuador. And they went down there and... and located themselves in the camp and an airplane would come and drop them parcel so they could live. And then they heard no uh, response on the radio. They didn't know what had happened. So they took a little plane and went up and circled around. And as they looked down with the binoculars, they could see that five missionaries laying there, slaughtered, packed to pieces. And there they were laying in the little stream that flowed through. And so then they went back and got the U.S. Army, and they marched down and took the bodies and picked it up. And they also took the camera that they'd been taking pictures with and took that back with them. And then they waited. They didn't know what to do. Here was Betty Elliott expecting her first child. And as she waited there, a young lady by the name of Diuma, if you've read our first book on Saved from Bankruptcy, there's a picture of her when she came up to the United States, and we gave her that uh, uh, keys to a boat that she'd be able to help to get the missionary uh, to preach Christ as a missionary there. And there, Diuma learned about Jesus, and there she became a missionary. And then she and Betty Elliott went down into that jungle with the same men that ki had killed Jim Elliott. The one that had said, and there's a very famous saying, "'Tis no fool who is willing to give that which he cannot keep to get that which he cannot lose. You and I are those whom have been chosen out. We now have a special uh, work that we do, and we call it Turnaround Weekend. 
after we went through almost bankruptcy, we find lots of Christians going through the same thing. So the phone rings constantly and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm getting ready to go through bankruptcy. And we say, well, it's great. They say, what do you mean it's great? It's great because God has chosen you out. He's chosen you as someone special to tell a special, uh, you're going to be a special uh, missionary for me now. And they cannot understand it. And then we try to explain to them about how Moses was prepared to, uh, to lead the children of Israel out of bondage and over into the promised land. And they, God put him behind the mountain for 40 years to prepare him. How he put Joseph into the prison, Potiphar's prison there. Just listen and read what God says to you in, in uh, the story about uh, uh, Joseph. And hey, he is the greatest type of Christ we have in the Old Testament. It's hard to find anything he did wrong. We know he did because he was not God. We know he did because his two children turned out to be so bad. But please remember, you listen to what he did and didn't do. But he came very close to being the most perfect man that the Old Testament talks about. And God had chosen him. And even though he would not have anything to do with Potiphar's wife, he was put into prison. And there is where God prepared him. So we say to him, hey, you've been chosen out. You've got a, a new job to do. And just be prepared. So God does not punish. He prepares. Maybe you think going to school like this is a punishment too. But it's preparation here. It's preparation to get out there and do what God is calling for you to do. So it's very important that you do it. I had the privilege of traveling around a great deal, and I was flying down in uh, South America one year, and I was coming through Bogota, Colombia, and I stopped there, and uh, on Sundays I always go to the International Church, and I, whatever town I happened to be in, and I was at the International Church and uh, enjoying my time there with uh, uh, Brother Harper, and as uh, we were there, uh, uh, Chet Bitterman was there, and many of the other Christians out of different uh, groups, and they all go there on Sunday and fellowship together, and then they go out and work at whatever group they might happen to be working with. I think he was a week with translators. And uh, uh, one day, soon after I left, they captured him and took him into uh, uh, as a hostage, and, and the United States government wouldn't pay anything for him. And if you remember right, that uh, one day they called up and said, you'll find his body in the back of a bus in the southeast sector of Bogota. And they went over and found the bus. They found him, and they found him dead there, and he'd been shot with many bullets. And I can remember the greatest story I've ever seen on television. When they went out there, one of the prominent television groups, I don't know whether it was NBC or who it was, but they went out there, and, and uh, they had the cameras on, Mrs. Bitterman, and as they shoved the microphone into her face, they said, Mrs. Bitterman, we are sorry to hear you lost your son. She said, lost my son? Nothing. I gave him to Jesus a long while ago. I want you to know that is what God is asking you to do today, is give your life, give everything that you have to God, that it can be used and can be used to carry out the work that God would have you to carry out. Yes? It's a very important thing to do. I have, one time I was going to make a trip into South America, and you know, you soon learn what missionaries don't have and what missionaries would like to have on the foreign field. Uh, I, I learned by a very unique experience in Bonaire one time that honey was what they liked there because there's no bees there and honey's very expensive and 
they like that. I learned in Korea that they like cheese. The cheese costs about $40 a pound over there. And I learned in South America that they like peanut butter. And uh, so before I got ready to make my trip down to visit all the nations in South America that did water skiing, and uh, uh, I had a one big bag, it was a very heavy bag that uh, uh, weighs a lot, and uh, ask Tanya. And uh, so I always carried that to carry all of my things I had to carry. And then I always carried another bag, and that bag I always carried to take things to the missionaries in. That was a pretty heavy bag, too. And, Peanut butter is pretty heavy. So I had peanut butter and bubble gum and Tootsie Rolls and all kinds of things in there. And it was very uh, nice that I could have these things to just distribute out because they just don't get things like that. I remember telling this story in England one time and a man came up to me and said, please tell me, what's a Tootsie Roll? <laughs> you don't realize until you get in a foreign country that we use the same English language but it don't mean the same thing at all. And uh, what is a titsy roll, anyway? But anyway, I had this bag was full of all this stuff, and I get to Venezuela as the first town. I get through, in, uh, and after I finished up uh, seeing the Lozucks and the Hoaglands and the Clarks and all of the missionaries that I was working with there, uh, I went back out to the airport at about midnight to catch my plane to fly down into Brazil, and, and uh, I'd already given away some of the uh, little goodies that I had, and uh, oh, they were so grateful to get it. Uh, and I stepped up and put my bags on there and the lady said, you're overweight. It's going to cost you so many believers. Well, they, the money in Venezuela is called believers. I wish everybody knew what that meant, really, believers. But anyway, it's called believers. And it's, and so my calculator began working $250. Wow! I didn't pay anywhere near that for all that peanut butter and Tootsie Rolls and all that junk I had in there to give away to the missionary. And I'm a Scotchman, so I couldn't stand it. I backed off the scales and I stepped over there by a big post. And here I am standing there not knowing what to do. I had all that junk there and it wasn't worth the $250 to be able to carry it on to the next stop. And uh, as I stood there, I finally got under conviction that, well, I brought it this far. Even if it cost the $250, I'd go ahead and put it on the scale. So I went back up, and the young lady was the same one, and I put it on the scales, and she looked at it again. She said, this will make it 175 So I saved a little bit of money by, <laughs> by backing off anyway. And uh, so, but it really hurt me, because it wasn't 170 I started to say, young lady, you can take the whole thing and just keep it here, because it's just not worth it. But... I had it that far, and I knew those missionary kids would like it and appreciate it and everything, so I got on that plane. But I want you to know that God spoke to me. You know, when you young people begin to say, how does God talk to you? Well, just listen to what I'm talking about now, and then you'll begin to know. You can't let God, God will not talk to you if you don't read the Word, if you don't pray, if you don't spend enough time on your knees in prayer, how is God going to talk to you? I told you communication tends for a good marriage. A good marriage with the Lord Jesus Christ is very important, more important than the marriage you've got here. So I got on that plane and I couldn't go to sleep. I just, that bothered me. They got me $175 to get that stuff down there. And I knew what I was up against because, hey, I was going to stop in Brazil and then Uruguay and then down into Argentina and then Chile. And every time it got a little lighter, but I knew I was in for it, buddy. I knew I was in for it. And so I kept on going with that jump. <laughs> and you know what God said to me? God said, Ralph Malone, 
the most valuable gift in the world was my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's free. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourself, for it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The greatest gift that's ever been given was the gift given by God, his only begotten son. When he's told us there in the third chapter of John, and as I lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to be... God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's a free gift. And he said, I gave that gift. It's absolutely free. But you know what? It costs money to deliver that gift. That little parcel you have there was a free gift of yours to them, but it cost money to deliver it. The delivery is going to be made by young men and women like you that are willing to stand up and be counted by God. Are you ready to do it? I wonder if we would do as good a job of standing up and be counted if we were in Bulgaria, where Tanya and I were last year. And they crowded into the, into the church so that in front of every person that was sitting, somebody was standing. And every aisle was packed, jammed. No nomenclatures on the building, no crosses on the top. The windows couldn't be opened for fear the noise would get out into the street. And they'd close them up, bulldoze them down. And they sat there for two and a half hours. When we hear a message here for 30 minutes, we begin getting fidgety and looking at our watch. Yes. It's what it costs to deliver it. And you and I are the ones that are going to be in charge of that delivery. When he gave us the Great Commission, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I will be with you always, even at the end of the world. When he said, and ye shall be my witnesses for me, first in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. And then if you read a couple of three more verses on down, it says that as Jesus was caught up into heaven, after he had given him this challenge, they stood there gazing up into heaven. And two men stood there in white apparel and said, Why stand ye gazing? Go to work. Go to work. In the known world, the time that Alexander the Great became so powerful, he became the leader of the whole wide known world. The first Western leader at that time that had become the leader of the Western, the leader of the world. A great man. He was a great leader. He was a great warrior. He rode that black stallion and everybody knew when Alexander the Great was around. When he was not in war, 
He was sitting on his throne in judgment over those who were under him. And one day, a young man was brought before him about late teens, blonde hair, blue eyes, handsome young man. And they brought him up and the Alexander the Great said, what is the charge? And his platoon leader said, when the fighting got fierce, he turned and ran. Alexander the Great said to this young man, what is your name? And he said, Alexander. Alexander's eyes flashed with fire. He said, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great stood up and he looked him right straight in the eyes. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Sir, I am Alexander. He grabbed him by the shoulders and he shook him and threw him in the floor. And he says, Either change your ways or change your name. You whom are called Christians today, either change your name or change your ways. God wants you on the battlefield not turning to run when the battle gets severe and tough and hard, he doesn't want you to run. Betty and I had the privilege of being in in uh, East Germany. This is quite an experience. You realize those little automobiles that you see coming out of there by streams are two-cylinder, two-cycle, the kind of automobiles we made 60 years ago. You realize the boats that they used to try to water ski with were horrible things. They don't have an engine in their country big enough to do it. They'd have to wait for a Russian truck somewhere over there. Soviet Russia would break down and they'd buy that engine out of that truck and reconvert it to be able to use it. And when they would take that truck motor and put it in there, it had a straight drive. It had no reverse. It had no clutch. When they started, they turned the switch on to take off. When they stopped, it turned it off. It was a terrible thing. The only steering they had was a rudder hanging on the back like a sailboat would have. And every time they'd get up to 40 miles an hour where the air would come down around the rudder and they couldn't turn to the right, they'd only turn to the left. And they got used to driving that way, that they only turned to the left, only turned to the left, only turned to the left. But at slow speeds, of course, they could maneuver. They told me, Mr. Maloon, did you know that marriages are only lasting three years in this country now? I said, why? Why? He said, when you get married, you go in and apply for a house to live in, or not a house, but a little uh, a room to live in. When you get in that little room that you're going to live in there, it takes five years. Five years. What are you going to do for the first five years? You have to go back and live with mother, or you have to go back and live with your mother-in-law. My dad said no house is big enough for two women. <laughs> Please remember... God did not intend for these people to be bound like this. When God put to, on this earth Adam and Eve, he said, you have everything. You don't need for anything. But there's one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't touch it. If you do, you'll learn the difference between good and evil. Don't touch it. Please don't touch it. But they had the right to 
They were made as free moral agents. They were not made as animals, dogs, and cats with no soul. And God said, but don't touch it. They had a choice to make. They made the wrong choice. You and I are suffering from that even today. I want you to know that God did not intend for these people to be bound up. Socialism, by the way, communists don't like to be called communists now. They like to be called socialists. That is nice, neat word. That's why they use it here in the United States. Yes, we're going to have socialism here. We've got plenty of it now. But we're going to have lots more of it. But they never, God never intended for this to happen at all. No, not a bit. We were over there for the most prestigious water ski tournament behind the Iron Curtain, which brought in North Koreans, the Russians, the uh, people from Bulgaria, and all of the socialist nations in the Eastern Bloc. And we were there for this tournament. And we were sitting down eating there one day when a, a, a bee came through the window. And uh, my wife scared to death of bee. And Rocky Matranga was there with us from up in Seattle, Washington, a born-again skier. And, and he uh, said for Mrs. Moon, well, I'll, I'll help you out. So he got an empty glass there and he put it down over the top of the bee. That bee tried his best to get out of that glass, but he couldn't go. No matter where he tried to go, he couldn't get out of that glass. And it reminded us of what was happening there in, Bulgaria, uh, in East Germany. They were imprisoned there. About that time, another bee came in. It was finally six bees. We had six bees with glasses over them. And Johnny, Johnny, uh, his name is Johnny, we call him Rocky, he said, Rocky said, I want to try something. He lifted up one side of the glass, put a little sugar on it, and that bee got on there, and he never tried to get out from that on. And then another one and another one, he had all six of them that way. And did you know that the only two people we found that were happy were our two translators, Patsy and Percy. And they were already retired, and here they are sitting in a little uh, a little place to live, and they feed them, they take care of them, all the dental and everything else is taken care of. They're satisfied there. And uh, Rocky went out in the yard, and when he realized he hadn't let those bees out, he went back and picked up the glasses. Did you know the bees never left? They were willing to stay there and suck on that sugar he put down. And so it is. If we get sold out to sin, we will keep on sucking on the sugar and stay right there. But if we get sold out for Jesus, we want to be free to tell people about it. So God does not intend for people to be bound up like that. But these people in trying to get what they call freedom are not going to get freedom by coming out of East Germany. Only freedom that is true freedom is when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're freed from your sin. Paul said to King Agrippa, he said, I wish that you were just exactly like I am except for these bonds. I am free. I'm in prison, but I am free. You guys are the ones that bound up. And so it is with so many East Germans. But they are searching. They are searching. They are searching. Are you going to be part of the group that's going to be willing to stand up and be counted and say yes to Jesus? I'll go. I'll go where you want me to go. I will give out the gospel where you want me to go. Well, I thank God that I've had that privilege of putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ a good many years ago. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to tell you a little bit about what God is doing with the right time. What do you want him to do with your life? What do you want him to do with what God entrusts you with? Thank you very much.